but I don't think they understand the amount of work that it takes and, and, you know, and the good habits you have to establish. And I think that's the one thing that high school sports can help people realize is develop those good habits and those good habits end up affecting you long-term, you know, make an attempt to become better and, and make an attempt to apply this to your life. You know, that, that's the biggest struggle I still have is how can I have this authoritative figure on them and still have a great relationship with them and, and have those hard conversations. What's going on, everybody? I'm Max Price, and you are listening to the High School Coaches Club. Thanks for popping in those earbuds as you mow your field, sweep your court, shovel some snow, or if you're like me up here in the Pacific Northwest, as you stay huddled inside drinking hot chocolate to avoid the heavy rainfalls that are going on right now. And hey, I'm super flattered and also really humbled to see how quickly the High School Coaches Club has grown since I interviewed my own high school head coach for episode number one back in September. And and look, while there's a lot to be annoyed, angered, uh, even frustrated about when it comes to the insane year 2020 has been, I'm also incredibly appreciative of the gift of time that it granted so many of us. Time to reflect on our coaching careers, uh, time to reflect on how present we are as wives, husbands, moms, dads, and time to dive into new landscapes that maybe were only ever seeds of thought buried somewhere deep in our subconscious before this insane virus showed up and, and turned our world, at least as we knew it, onto its head. So hey, thank you for joining me in my own journey to have some conversations and, and connect with some of the best coaches, trainers, and administrators the high school level has to offer. I truly cannot say enough how much I appreciate you tuning in. So here in episode number 14, I'm joined by assistant football coach and head baseball coach Matt Dudek of Kenton High School in Kenton, Ohio. In our conversation, Coach Dudek shares what it was like playing a high school football season this fall, even in the midst of all the COVID guidelines. And he gives us some insight into how his leadership-defined course is providing students with a chance to meet some pretty amazing people, including Major League Baseball managers and even some podcast royalty, like the host of the 1% Better podcast, Joe Ferraro. Hi, Joe. Matt also helps us understand some of the different motivators for student-athletes, especially those in more rural communities. It's another good one. A coach dedicated to helping his players and students leave better than when they arrived. So without further ado, here's my conversation with the head baseball coach at Kenton High School, Matt Dudek. All right, we're live here with Matt Dudek from Kenton High School. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to this opportunity. Um, you really set the bar high um, with some of the guests you've had on here. So I'm, I'm hoping I can give something to someone and they can take it and apply it. I think you will. I um, I was introduced to you through a mutual friend, uh, Joe Ferraro, uh, who's the host of the 1% Better podcast. And uh, he had recommended a few people to me and your name was near the top of that list. And so uh, I think you'll I think you'll offer plenty to people that are listening. Well, thank, thank you. And I'm really looking forward to this. So can you uh, dive in kind of like we do with all our guests and just kind of take us through your own career as a player, maybe starting in high school and then on through, and then when you made that transition into coaching and ultimately what you're doing right now? Sure, no problem. I, uh, I'm a Kenton graduate. I went to high school here, um, grew up here, went to high school, graduated in 1999. I played football, um, baseball, and I was on the powerlifting team. Um, we, I had a pretty successful high school career and then I was able to continue my athletic career on to college at the division two level, a small school called Hillsdale college in Southern Michigan, about 12, 1500 students. Um, and I was able to play football and baseball there for five years and graduated from there in 2004. And I, I was able to come back um, to Kenton and get a job. And I've been here ever since I've coaching football. Here I've been an assistant football coach for 17 years now. Um, I was an assistant baseball coach for 10 years, and this is my seventh year of the, being the head coach uh, of the high school team. And I'm also the huddle advisor for our Fellowship of Christian Athletes chapter here at the school as well. That's fantastic. So you've you graduated from Kenton. You went off for five years. You came right back. So you've dedicated not only the 17 years as a, as a teacher and coach, but then also as a, as a student before that. That's a lot of time at one school. Can you give us the rundown on Kenton? I think you probably know it as well as just about anybody. What's it like? Um, it's, a, it's a rural school in uh, northwest Ohio. Um, we probably have about 500 kids at the high school level. Um, we are 
not we're about half an hour from any big city so um we're about a half an hour from a town called or a city called finley half an hour from marion half an hour from lima about a half an hour north of marysville and we're about an hour northwest of columbus so we're kind of in the middle of, of nowhere but we're close enough to get to places um the bigger cities to to do things um but it's a rural county lot, lots of farmers um i i live in the country here i'm surrounded by a like a field that has corn or beans on a, on a annual basis so um it's a small school but you know the the people here are great they're they're fantastic kids um sometimes a little rough around the edges but they really care about you down deep and and um, we care about them as well sounds like a really nice place i think uh I, i'm in salem oregon where we have six high schools each one has at least 1500 kids in it so um, we're we're on the bigger side of things, and the, the idea of living in a more country kind of rural place to me has always sounded really appealing. Just the small town feel of things, because we don't really get that small town feel uh, where I am. Yeah, it's not bad. It, it's not for everybody. I, I will say that um, it, it's a little bit slower. Um, everyone's like opening doors and saying hi, and if you go into like a local restaurant, chances are you know somebody here, so they're going to have a conversation about uh, whatever's going on. Um, so, but it's, it's not like a bigger city where you go to and, you know, they're just trying to get you through quick and as quick as possible here. It's very, um, slow and people care about you and care about your life. And, and we're just, you know, we, we, we don't care about being in and out as fast as possible. Was it always your plan to return to Kenton, uh, when you were in college? Did you ever think about going somewhere else or was this always, always part of your big plan? I can't say yes or no. Um, I married my high school sweetheart. So we were together for two years in high school, and we made it um, five years of college. She went to college at a small school in, uh, called Otterbein College in, in Westerville, Ohio, and we were about three and a half hours away. Um, and she has an insurance business here in town. So I knew if I was if we were going to get married, I was probably going to come back to the area. Um, I didn't know if it was going to be Kenton or not, and I had a couple other job offers, but ultimately it came down to Kenton, and they had an opening for me, and I've been here ever since. That sounds pretty awesome. And I know you guys just finished a uh, football season. Uh, just to give you context here in Oregon, we're still shut down in terms of playing actual games. Uh, our football season has been pushed to, I want to say, late February, early March. But you guys were able to play a full a full season. What was that like? It was nice to be able to get the kids back out there. I, I know that's the one thing that we all struggled with initially was the kids just wanted some sort of structure. They wanted to be around their friends they miss that sort of normalcy of being able to hang out with their friends and, and compete together. And it, it was kind of on the ropes there for a while. Um, but in June and July, we started opening some stuff back up and they got together and we were able to play a six game regular season. And then they expanded the playoffs for anyone who uh, was eligible and wanted to participate could play. So instead of having a five week playoff, it was a six or seven week playoff, depending on if you got a buy or not. So we were able to get those six games in, and we, we were able to play two playoff games, and we got another game in at the end. We ended up playing, we ended up playing nine games. Yeah. So for us, getting nine games in this year, it was was awesome. Um, just for the kids to be able to get out there and for, and for their parents to be able to watch them, I know that it was a big deal to be able to have that happen for them. Yeah, it's something that people are missing in quite a few states in the country. I know ours in particular, we, you know, we just don't have really any sports available right now. And I know that students and families are, you know, it's, I, I get it, you know, it's, we, we want to be careful and everything at the same time. Uh, you know, I had a couple coaches from Iowa on and they were able to play their full, you know, summer baseball seasons and then having, you know, someone like you on a football coach even, and that's, you know, that's a, obviously a contact sport. Kids are up close to each other. It just gives me, I guess it gives me a lot of hope that all the states and all the different schools who are kind of in limbo right now in terms of sports goes, uh, it gives me hope that there's there's a framework in place from places like Ohio and Iowa where um, sports work and even football can work and you can make it happen. And you guys play nine games. That's a full, that's a full season. Yeah, um, there were some hoops we had to jump through. I mean, there, there was the um, we we took frequent water breaks, and we and we were we sectioned off our practice into like nine or ten minute sessions, and then we took those two minute water breaks. And I mean, there was hoops, but I think the hoops were well worth it just to be able to get you know the season in and to have our kids get out there and play together and all that. So I mean, it was the hoops were well worth it in this case because I mean the kids missed it, the coaches missed it, and it gave us some sort of normalcy relative to what we're going through right now. 
as you were kind of going through that with the different protocols and, you know, breaking practices down into much smaller segments than you normally would, do you think any of that kind of stuff is maybe valuable that you might continue doing in the future in terms of football or maybe even in, in your role as the head baseball coach, like things that you learned or, or experienced during COVID times that you might take with you? We didn't get as much practice time in. So, so that made it kind of difficult at times where it was like, right. We were like nine minutes. So right when we were getting to like the, the pinnacle of what we needed to get done, it was like we had, we had a water break. So I, so I think what I did learn was nine minutes is a little too short of a, of a time period for what I was doing personally. It might be just enough for some other people. Um, but I think, you know, if, if you want to do the drill the right, the right way and teach the fundamentals and make sure everything is done properly, for what I was doing, nine minutes wasn't quite enough time. but it made me be a little bit more efficient with my, with my drills and it made me be a little more efficient with the practice schedule and stuff like that, knowing that, Hey, we have to go, we have to get this done and um, trying, trying to make that, that, that efficiency happen and, you know, make sure it's taught right was difficult. But I think that um, it was a valuable lesson that I learned that, Hey, I can be efficient and do what I need to do in a set amount of time. Yeah, I think that's something that I've kind of taken away from the the teaching side of things. Are you how how in person are you in Kenton, Ohio, right now in terms of school? Well, put on. I'll take it back to the beginning of the season uh, of the school year. Um, we started we started remote, so it was five days a week um, remote for our kids, and we did that for the first like three and a half four weeks. Um, we we have a county fair, so like I said, we're rural, so we have a county fair. We broke for the county fair, so we did. Two weeks remote, one week off of the county fair, which is around Labor Day, and then we came back for a week remote, and then we were we were in person up until the week before Thanksgiving. So we were in person five days a week, and then since the week before Thanksgiving, um, and now we just found out through after uh, Christmas break we were going to be remote again. So it's going to be about four or five weeks remote that we've been in. So. We haven't done the hybrid, but we've been remote and we've been um, in person. So we've been both extremes. It's really interesting hearing the different, the different like extremes of places like where I am right now. Um, or Oregon's broken down by counties. I think a lot of different states are doing similar things like that. And uh, for us, we've been in, in our particular county, we've been remote the whole time. So the whole way through. So I, we had some workouts. We were able to have kids come in for sports. We've since been shut down from that. But being able to see the kids and, and, and have them be around their friends and everything was really cool. And, you know, you mentioned having the kids around for, for football obviously was a big deal and they were able to, to hang out with each other and just have a sense of normalcy. And that, can you kind of just talk a little bit more about maybe what you noticed, maybe what kids, maybe they appreciated things more. I don't know. I guess, I guess as a coach, I'm hoping that when we get to finally return They'll just really appreciate what what they have, like the time they're given with each other, the time they have on the field. Maybe we won't take it for granted as much. Did you did you kind of see that with your kids? Oh yeah, I mean, as soon as we got back, everyone was really really happy to be back. Um, we were able to actually do some baseball stuff this summer, and we had tremendous turnout for that. And um, so we, we got a lot better this summer from the stuff we were able to do there too. But like you said, I think. Um, the kids now, especially last year's seniors, this year's seniors, and, and the kids there in high school are really starting to cherish the moments they have together and realize, you know, that, you know, this could be taken away with this global pandemic. And, you know, they're a little more, um, I, I think you said, you know, they don't take it for granted. They're a lot more appreciative. Um, I'm seeing the closeness of the classes now. I mean, they're, they're a lot closer now because I think they realize how much they they like the social aspect and how much they they just like the the support system and the structure of being able to come to school and socialize and, and have those those set time periods of classes and things like that. So I think that all being said, and they're super appreciative now. And and then we went back to remote, and so I think it, it's hitting them again that you know we really need to be in person and we really like being in person and we really need to be in person as opposed to doing this remote stuff. I mean, I'm not one to complain about the scenarios. So, I mean, it is what it is. You can't control it. I mean, you got to make the most out of it. But I think obviously everyone um, would rather be back in person. I think you really can't substitute an in-person education and try to do the same thing online. There, There's just no comparison. 
Yeah, no, they're they're totally different. I think something you said there rings true, and it's something that's been a, a struggle here locally for sure. Is we we tell our kids all the time, you know, control what you can control. Um, you know, if things are outside of your control, don't worry about them, right? Right. So stay on course. At the same time, we want to advocate for our kids, right? We want mm-hmm. we want to we, we want to be vocal in their in support of them having opportunities, for example, you know, to play sports. And so I think internally, that's something I've struggled with is portraying this outward thing towards our players of, hey, control what you can control, but then separately from that, working really hard to advocate for them to get them opportunities to to be around each other and to socialize and to have sports. Uh, it's been one of the more difficult struggles that I've been kind of internally dealing with. Well, I think anyone who works in, in the athletics or anyone who works with kids, I think is fighting the same battle. It's one of those things where you know, you want to do it safely. You don't want to put them in jeopardy, but at the same time, you know that they need this because it means something to them. And you're you're trying to figure out a safe way to do it without, you know, without putting them in harm's way, without, without offending the people who, who know, have been affected by this and, and without, you know, causing any bigger issue than it truly is. And, and it, it is, it is a struggle because where, where's that line? Um, how, how can you, how can you fight for your kids, but at the same time do it safely and still follow the protocols and, and not offend people who, who, who are trying to do what's best on their end as well. So, I mean, that's a struggle I think we all fight with. And, you know, I, I, I struggle with it too. And it, I don't, I don't think there's a right answer, but at the same time, I think you, you gotta take whatever obstacle or whatever opportunity is there and you gotta make the most out of what you have and, and try to make the best situation. And like, like you said, um, advocate for your kids and at the same time, letting them know that even though this is an obstacle, this is an obstacle that can be overcome if you go about it the right way. Do what you can do and don't worry about what you can't do, but do everything you possibly can to make sure that everything is brought back to as normal as possible. Obviously, you spent 17 years coaching high school sports, and I think any coach of high school sports understands the importance. Um, you know, obviously, in today's society, the importance is a little bit different right with COVID and what that's kind of brought to the table. But why, if, if, you know, if somebody were to ask you, why are high school sports important? You know, maybe as a community, why should we invest time or money or other resources into high school sports? What would kind of your response be to that? I think high school sports are just, it's, it's a, it's your first introduction to what life is like. It's the first introduction to what hard work looks like. It's your first introduction to, you know, for lack of a better phrase, playing nice in the sandbox. It's your first introduction to, you know, putting the work in and to being coachable and, you know, to developing good habits that lead to huge changes over time. And I, and I think it, it takes boys to men, girls to women. Um, and, and it's just a whole thing where this is your first introduction to kind of what life is going to be like. And, and if you want to get the results that, that, that you desire, you're going to have to put in the work to get there. It just doesn't happen naturally. And I, I think so many kids go through middle school and, and, and things and academically and athletically, sometimes it's just super easy for them. And then high school hits, puberty hits. And then it's the first time that they realize, is this something that I really want? And if it's something that I really want, then I'm, I'm going to have to put in the work because there's going to be other people who are, and, and am I willing to do what they're willing to do to get what I want to get out? Um, so one thing is I always tell my players and my students is you can't complain about outcomes you get if you don't put in the work to get them. Um, so if, if the results you get don't line up with what you wanted, check out what you did in order to get there. And I think that's what high school sports in essence teaches. Yeah, the, the, the long-term benefits of high school sports are so massive. And I think I think for people who maybe haven't maybe didn't play sports in high school or, or other activities, band, drama, things like that, where you're really committing and investing yourself over the long run, I think it pays off big. You know, if you mentioned coming in as a, maybe as a freshman after middle school, or maybe things came really easy to you, and then all of a sudden you look around and you get to high school and you're like, oh, what? you know, to play on the varsity team and be a starter, like I'm, this is going to be a few years worth of work. Like this is this isn't something where I'm just going to walk in here and I get to be the, you know, starting quarterback or the starting, you know, shortstop on the varsity baseball team just because I was good in middle school. And so you're, you're having to get this commitment from a kid as they walk in the door after they've looked around and saw, Oh my gosh, like this is going to take a few years. Like this doesn't just happen overnight. 
and like you yeah. said, you know, putting in the work and not complaining, like that's so important for, for kids and for adults, really, to be honest with you, uh, to have an experience like that, where they just, you see where you need to get, you know, where you are now. And it's like, you're asking yourself the question, do am I, am I going to do the work that it's going to take to get to that point? Yeah. And I, I just had this conversation earlier with, with one of my principals and colleagues. It's, you know, I think a lot of people see the success of others and they, and they succeed the success of, of what they want to do. But I don't think they understand the amount of work that it takes and, and, you know, and the good habits you have to establish. And I think that's the one thing that high school sports can help people realize is develop those good habits and those good habits end up affecting you long-term because, you know, you, if you develop those, the earlier you develop those good habits, the better off you're going to be in the long run because you have those habits already established and then you can develop more habits on top of those habits and those little changes lead to big results in the end. Yeah, absolutely. So let's transition this into some some of the nitty gritty parts of sports. So you've been coaching for 17 years as an assistant football coach, and then 10 years as an assistant baseball coach. And then now for the last seven years, you've been the head baseball coach. So 17 years of two sports coaching, it's a lot of time. Um, I've, I've only coached baseball and I've, I've been doing it for, uh, I guess this is year five now, although the whole COVID thing's got me all weirded out because it's like, well, it's really only I've only coached three years worth of games, I guess. But here we are in year five. So who knows? But I, I just think of the time, you know, the time commitment of coaching just the one sport. It, it's a lot. And, it, you know, you're doing stuff year round with fundraising and preparing things and and, you know, offseason workouts and things like that. And so I've always been really impressed by coaches who can be the head coach of one sport and then also still be an assistant for another sport. What's that? What's that been like for you for 17 years to be to be doing two roles, and then obviously for the last seven to be the head coach in one of those roles? It's it's not been easy. I, I know that. Um, and, and behind every great coach, there's a wife who's super supportive, and, and my wife's been there by my side too, um, with with everything, and and she's busy as well. But I mean, I. I, I always sit down and ask myself this question. Like at some point in time, I'm going to have to slow down. Um, I got four girls at home and, and things like that. But I, I look back at my life like for the past 25 years, I've been doing something year round until five o'clock at night. And, and, if, and if I stop, I'm, I, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. I mean, at some point in time, I realize I'm going to have to give something up. But right now, um, you know, I, I think I'll miss the kids too much if, if I do. So, but it's been difficult. It's been time management, but luckily for me, um, my, my head coach of football has been very um, considerate with me and been very helpful with me and has enabled me to, you know, go to my daughter's events and, and go to some other baseball stuff and, and do what I need to do as, on that realm. And my wife has been very good as well. And, you know, it, it's a lot easier now with, the good, with my daughters being a little older, I'm able to take them to the workouts and things that we do. So um, that helps as well. So they want to be involved and I try to keep my family involved as much as possible. And I think the more I can get them involved, the easier it gets on, on me and the easier it gets on my wife. And I mean, I'm also surrounded by some great assistant coaches too um, on the baseball end. And I, I know I can trust them and I know that they um, are willing to do what needs to be done and they're going to do it the right way. Um, I'm very, very fortunate. And all my assistant coaches are former players uh, of mine. Um, one of my assistant coaches was a, a guy who coached me when I was in high school as well. And so I, I have a bunch of alumni who come back and who want to contribute and, and who want to help the program and see the program go. And, and I've been fortunate enough to be able to get them on staff and they, they know the way we want to do things and they're going to make sure it's done the way it needs to be done and the way that best suits our kids. That's amazing. Yeah, we've, uh, I mentioned this is year five, kind of. And uh, I'm just starting to get that where, uh, so, you know, some former players, they're finishing up their college careers, and now they're coming back, and they want to coach. And it's something that's gotten me like really fired up. Now, finding good assistant coaches is not easy. Um, and I'm in a, I'm in a really big place. Uh, and you're obviously you know, in rural Ohio, it's not like you have this giant pool of, of, you know, amazing coaches that are just moving to Kenton, Ohio out of nowhere. And so to have former players, uh, you mentioned, you know, a former coach who coached you, like that makes a huge difference to have assistant coaches that you can trust, that you can have, you can give them authority to, to get something done and they do it and they get it done and they own it. 
it makes it makes just a huge difference on your time and then you know long term it makes a big difference on the time you get to spend with your family because now you're not trying to you know plan for another coach's you know part of practice or something like that right yeah i mean it does i mean it, it's a huge difference and you know what what i've come to find out is what works for one place doesn't work for another and in order to understand what works for us you have to be a, a kitten guy i mean we, we've always said um to, to work with kitten kids it takes a special person um um because we you know we got a lot of farmers we got a lot of kids who have to work um and things like that and it takes a special person to know what it takes to, to coach a kitten kid and how to get through to him and so you know what works here might not work somewhere else but we're gonna at the end of the day we're gonna do what works best for our kids and the in my opinion one of the best ways to to get that done is to have some guys that went through the program who understand that come back and help out and and i've been fortunate enough that i've had some guys who want to come back and help and, and pay it forward in that way. Yeah. It just, it just reminded me when you mentioned Kenton guys and the farm boys, it reminded me of my first year as a, as a head coach, kind of as the freshman head coach where I was student teaching in, in at Glencoe high school in Hillsborough, Oregon. And it's right on the edge of this kind of city, kind of not farm country area. And so it was, it was really strange. We had kids whose parents worked at Intel where that, you know, they'd make, a considerably large amount of money working with computer chips. And then at, in the same classroom, you'd have kids that literally came to school wearing muck boots because in the morning they had been, you know, moving cattle around and right after school ends, they're going right back to the field. And just the, the variation in kids was, was really interesting, but the, the farm boy type of, uh, I don't want to say stereotype, but just, you mentioned a little rough around the edges sort of a thing. Um, it, it can be true and it, it does take a special kind of person. I remember as an outsider, it took me uh, quite a long time that year to really feel like I was comfortable around those kids and like they trusted me. Yeah. And, you know, it's it takes some time. And, and I, I mean, I've been inundated in here for my entire life, so I get it. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, from from people who come in from outside, you know, it, it takes a while to to get used to it, but once they get used to it, it's like, man, these kids—they're they're great kids. Uh, once you get through to them, once you get it, once you get through th that shell, they're really great kids. They mean really, really well, and they they truly do care. Do you find when you bring your daughters to workouts, like I've I've had assistant coaches who bring their kids to work out sometimes, little ones, and I just see what the impact that has on our high school athletes do you find that same thing when you bring your daughters to to practices or workouts sometimes like the impact that it has on your high school students it does it, i mean the kids the my daughters love it first of all and the kid my the kids love my daughters too it's like an extension of the family um i've always i mean for the past 10 or 12 years um well pre-covid i i always had i coached d-line so I've always had the defensive line come over like on Wednesday or Thursdays before film for like, I, I cook them a meal or they help cook the meal and my daughters are there. And it's just something I do to like kind of build that closeness among the group and then bring them into my home so they can see me being a father and being a husband and kind of giving them those little life lessons where I'm not like forcing them into it and talking to them, talk, talking directly to them about that, but they can see it in action. Like, you know, if I have to feed my daughter or, you know, if, if something happens and they start fighting, how I'm going to handle that situation. And indirectly they're getting that lesson right there. And then I, it's just a fun atmosphere that we've created and, you know, it impacts them. Um, my daughters were uh, water girls this past or two of them were water girls this past football season. And they, they just have the guys that come over, they're really close with them. They know them by name and, and they're always asking if they can come babysit them and stuff like that. But it really changes the demeanor of the guys because they know they have to kind of button it up a little bit and they can't be as loose as they would have been previously. But at the same time, it's something bigger than them that they truly care about. And my daughter's always asking, hey, when are they going to come over again? When are they going to come over again? So, I mean, it, it kind of goes both ways. Not only does it benefit the guys and teaches them how to be like a man, for lack of a phrase, but it also helps my daughters. And, you know, they get to see um, some boys come into the house that are going to treat them well and and you know that that they develop that sense of family and 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 they really really look forward to getting to talk to those guys 
Yeah, I love the idea of it going both ways. I think I've I've seen it many times where you'll take, you know, those even the biggest, manliest man, you know, <laughs> teenage boy, uh, but you bring them around little kids at, you know, a camp or, if, you know, you have assistant coaches or yourself who brings uh, your your kids over and they just they can just turn into the bubbliest, like nicest, softest giants. And it's it's a really cool thing to see. But then also, like you mentioned, the flip side of that's really cool, too, of having your kids be around it and get the impact of it as well. Uh, I think it's really special. I think I, I've always enjoyed I mean, my, my son's 16 months old now. So we're, we're, I don't know, a year or so away before he's going to start coming to stuff. But I've always had assistant coaches who had little kids and I've always found it to be really, really good for our athletes to have those, those little guys around. Oh, it is. It is. And you know, it's funny because it, my girl, my daughters will con them into doing the, the most random things. So they went out and, <laughs> They played wiffle ball with them in the backyard. They were swimming, and my daughter challenged them to a race, and they were swimming, and they were, like, chanting to get them to go down the slide, stuff like that. So, I mean, it's kind of funny how, how uh, you know, the, those high school kids who think they're big and bad, as soon as they get around a kid and the kid asks them to do something, they, they just kind of soften right up, and they'll, they're willing to play along. And, you know, it, it, it's the impact it's had on my family is tremendous. And like we said earlier, the impact it's had on the, uh, the players is also tremendous. Yeah, so you've been the head coach now for baseball for seven years. Um, can you dive into how that transition took place? I mean, you've had now seven years to kind of look back and see what you were like your first year as the head coach. I think you had the backing. You know, you'd, you'd been there for 10 years, and then you'd also played there. So you, like you mentioned, you know what Kenton is. You're a Kenton guy. But can you kind of go back to that first year when you took over the program and maybe some of the challenge you've had that you had that you've now kind of been able to overcome maybe yeah um i got the job we, one of our former football coaches moved out to missouri um he's like a hall of fame football coach here um in ohio and and um he had two division one quarterback sons and so he went out there to watch his one son um be closer to them be closer to family because he had a daughter out there as well so when that transition was made the the coach who was the head baseball coach and assistant football coach as well transitioned to the head football coach and then I transitioned from the assistant baseball into the head baseball coach that that uh that following spring. Um, so the transition was was an interesting one because I'd already been part of the program uh, previously, and we weren't like super successful. Um, we had a run in the late '90s where we had a good run of athletes, and we made it to to state and we won some sectional titles and stuff like that. But we we are not traditionally a strong baseball school, um, so I had. I had to, you know, kind of, kind of establish my imprint on the program. And, you know, we had some off, we started some off-season workouts. We started doing, going down that route. And so I basically had to ch kind of change the culture and make the program my own. Um, and, you know, the first year we had a ton of seniors um, and, and we'd, we had not been over 500 in a long time since I think since 1999. So it was like 14 or 15 years since we were 500. I think we were able to get to 12 and 14 that year. So we were really close. And we lost like we lost three or four really close games, two or three in extra innings or a call here or there that goes our way and, you know, puts us over the top. But we weren't able to get there. But we did win our first tournament game in 15 years that year. And then the next year we were able to get to 500. The following year we won a sectional title and it had the most uh, league wins in, in school history. But, you know, I had to establish that culture from the get go and, and kind of make it my own and, and get those kids to buy into coming into the off season to putting in that work. And um, so that's what I've been able to do. And now I'm kind of trying to trickle down to get some of the middle school kids involved and stuff like that too. So now with our winter workouts, we for the past year or two have been inviting our middle school kids to come to our winter workouts with us. So they're working out with us as well. And we're going to see that trickle down effect um, hopefully in the near future. I mean, I'm not as successful as I want to be right now, but at the same time, Rome wasn't built in a day. And I have to stay true to what got us there and realize that we have to build a foundation and make sure that foundation is sturdy before we're going to be ready to um, have that success and continued success. When you became the head coach, uh, you had already you know been there for 10 years and you had played a role for 10 years. Did you find yourself struggling at all to become, I don't want to say the authority figure, but become the head of the program and imprint, like you said, put your own imprint on it, change the culture a little bit uh, while still feeling like you, 
you're still being the same guy that the, the kids had seen for the 10 years previously, or in, in, in the case of your seniors, right, the four years previously? Yeah, it was a struggle initially because I've always, I've always been like a super relational guy and, and try to get to know the kids very, very well. Um, and it's a lot easier as an assistant because you don't have to deal with all the other stuff that goes along with being a head coach. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the relational aspect of it was the hardest piece for me to give up. Um, not, not, not necessarily give it up. Maybe that's the wrong phrase, but I didn't give it up, but it, it it's in a new light now. So I, you know, cause you always want what's best for the kids. And I still have those great relationships, but at the same time, you can't get as close to them as you had previously because, you know, you have to make some decisions and then you don't, there's just, you know, that that's the biggest struggle I still have is how can I have this authoritative figure on them and still have a great relationship with them and, and have those hard conversations about them getting, you know, too upset and, you know, not want to be, you know, as, as close as we have been previously. That's my biggest battle right now um, as the head coach is I still want to do that transformational coaching, that, that, that close knit relationship with them. But at the same time, part of that is being able to have those hard conversations and, and you know, the more hard conversations you have, they get easier, but they're still difficult. Um, the level of difficulty doesn't go down, but they, you just get a little more comfortable in having those conversations with the kids. Um, because if you have that relationship, you're able to be honest with them. And um, so I think the longer I do this, the better I get at it. But at the same time, it doesn't make it any easier when I have to have that hard conversation. It reminds me of Butch Chaff, and I'm not sure if you were able to listen to that episode. It was episode nine, but he mentions the idea of coaching your kids really hard because ultimately teenage boys want to be coached hard, whether they they realize it right then and there or it takes them a few years later to realize it. Coach them hard, but then also love them. And, you know, he would he talked about how his players, they actually, you know, tell him I love you like to you know a grown adult man coach authority figure and he's the guy who writes the lineups he's the guy who's making them work out so hard you know they puke at times right so it's like and I have to remind myself okay he's been doing it for 30 years he wasn't able to just establish this overnight right and so creating this culture of of like you mentioned transformational coaching where you you really care about each other but at the same time, like you're writing a lineup card. Some guys aren't going to be happy with what decisions are on that card. You know, you're having to make choices in terms of disciplining players for certain things. And um, it's just a weird, it, it's, it almost seems counterintuitive that you could have, you could love each other, but then also you're really hard on someone. It's like, oh, it's kind of like parenting, I guess, in some ways. Yeah. And I, I totally agree. And, you know, that's the one thing that makes being a head coach difficult is, you know, you have to make those hard decisions and, you know, it, it might strain a relationship unintentionally because you had to make that tough decision. Um, but one thing I've tried to do is when I make those lineup cards and I have to have those conversations or those tough conversations, I, I try to front load it and, and talk with them and, you know, ahead of time saying, hey, this is the decision I made. Here's why I made this decision. And, and here's the plan going forward to let them know where they stand and what they can do and and why I made the decision. It wasn't just the thing that, you know, caught them off guard. Um, so I try to front load it that way. And I, and I think that's part of the communication piece of, of being a coach is, you know, having, you got to be honest with them and that, that builds that trust. And at the same time, you know, give them your rationale behind it and then give them a plan. So they know how they can go out and execute the plan. And if they continue getting better and making um, the decisions to become a better player and to make the most out of their opportunity that, their chances are going to come and they can, you know, get into the lineup and, and go forward. Do you ever find yourself having those conversations during the school day itself? Like if you see kids in the hallway or maybe you have them in class, have you ever had those tried to have that kind of tougher conversation outside of the regular baseball environment? I've, I've done it both ways. So yeah, I've done it at school before. Um, I, I've done it in practice before. Um, so I have done it. Some sometimes it helps to do it at school because it's out of that it's out of that baseball element or out of that football element, and, they, and that way it's in a school day, so they have some time to kind of think about it, and then we can talk again before practice or or, or after practice about it. So sometimes it helps them um, comprehend and, and conceptualize what's going on. Um, so I, I think that helps. Um, one thing I try not to do I try not to catch them off guard because if you catch them off guard. That's, that's when I think the emotion gets wrapped up in there and that's when they get upset the most 
is you know that they get kind of blindsided and didn't be, didn't see it coming. So you know, I I try to like I said to front load it and and communicate as much as possible up front. That way they they know where they stand and it doesn't catch them off guard. Yeah, like having a guy who's maybe started you know ten games in a row and then all of a sudden he's not in the lineup that day. And that can be really difficult relationship straining moment if you don't front load that conversation. If the kid just shows up that day and okay, getting ready for the game, look at the card. Oh, I'm I'm not in. And that moment can be really for a teenage boy, for anyone again, but for a teenage boy, that's a really difficult pill to swallow. And now you've got your teammates. You know they're not saying anything, but they know what's up. They're looking at you like, oh man, like, you know, okay, weird. Uh, and it, it can it can be really straining on relationships. So I think what you're saying, the the idea of front loading those conversations as much as possible, and not blind signing kids, is a really great way to maintain that that strong relationship that you're trying to achieve. Absolutely, and I think that the better you can communicate, um, it's, one, it's one another one of those life lessons that you can give them and. You know, to let them know that you're going to have hard conversations in life. Um, and the better you are at communicating them, the more honest you are, the better you are at not avoiding those conversations. And just, you know, it's a tough foot to fall, but at the same time, it has to get done. And avoiding it and just letting that tension build is just going to make it worse in the end. Yeah, I remember back to my first year coaching again, back to Glencoe, when I was a, a little a student teacher coaching the freshman team there. And I remember I, I avoided conversations that were difficult at all at all cost. I just I was I was what, 22, maybe 21. I just I didn't want to what you know, what if the conversation gets uncomfortable? And so I would just avoid them. And it's like, oh, God, if I could go back to that 21 year old version of me, I'd just slap him like, what are you doing, man? You've got to talk to people. You have to have those conversations because it might be difficult and it might be uncomfortable at times. But the the honesty and trust that you're putting forward is going to pay off like way bigger in the long run. Yep. And like you said earlier, it's going to be counterintuitive. So you, you don't think it will. But in the end, I think it makes both of you better for it. Yeah, I think so too. I want to. I want to really dive into. I, I tweeted this out. I think yesterday, maybe a couple of days ago. But I, I, I've heard of this class that you teach at Kenton High School, and it's. It just sounds like a really special class. I know you've had some pretty, pretty special guests. Can you first uh, tell us what the class is, and then I, you might be humble, so get out of your your humility for a second. And can you name drop some of those people you've had on that on that <laughs> in that class? Because that is really cool. Um, the class is called Leadership Defined. Um, my administration has been super supportive of it, and they, they've been behind it one hundred percent. I, I kind of developed the course when I was doing some graduate work, and um, I spent. Um, an entire summer kind of diving into how to make this the best course possible. So I was, I reached out to like three or four people. Um, and Joe Ferraro being one of them, a guy that works at focus three group. Um, and I think Brian Hawk was another one I reached out to, um, to kind of help me structure this course of how I wanted to do it. And, um, so basically the gist of the course is we go through, I have the class pick out, not pick out. We, we, it's an, a very interesting debate we have to get down to the 10 traits so we, we call it the list of 10 it's not a top 10 but it's a list of 10 traits that they think every leader should have and then i have them sequence them where one leads into the next and what you come to find out is they kind of piggyback up each other and lead into each other so on and so forth um so basically we spend 10 weeks doing a deep dive into 10 separate leadership traits i uh, use book passages magazine articles um, online stuff podcasts uh, movies TED Talks, video clips, you know, any, any, any source of, of media I try, to, I try to use and take advantage of just to give the kids multiple different aspects. And then one of the other ways that, that I try to do is have guest speakers uh, come in or zoom in uh, based on where they're at. And um, I've been very, very fortunate to have to, to run into some people who've been uh, willing to help out. Um, that all started last year when, when we all shut down for uh, COVID. I just reached out on Twitter and I said, hey, is there anybody who's willing to help me out with this course? I'm trying to keep it interactive. And I got upwards of, I think I ended up doing like 20 to 25 different Zoom calls with various people from uh, head, head college baseball coaches to authors and things like that. And then towards the end, I was fortunate to get an interview, Terry Francona, uh, the manager of the Cleveland Indians, uh, Joe Madden, manager of the Angels, um, Jake Thompson, uh, Jordan Syatt. Laura Gassner-Otting um, have all 
been guests of mine, I guess you can call it, and been willing to volunteer their time to come in. And I mean, that's just the name of few. I've been been very, very lucky um, that they're willing to reach out and help. And you know, it's been it's been it's been an awesome experience. I think that class is so special. So when I when I was teaching at my previous school at North Salem High School, I ended up being the activities director, um, which comes along with the leadership class. <clears throat> and that version of leadership is is so is it's it's not a lie, but it's not it's not reality. You know, it ends up being uh, you know painting some posters and maybe putting on some assemblies. And there's chances and opportunities for some leadership in there. But it's not what most people in the country would consider to be something that's actually teaching kids how to be leaders or what the traits of good leadership looks like. And I think it's something that a lot of us as coaches struggle with is that we know we need to have good student athlete leaders on our teams. Um, A lot of times it ends up just by virtue being the best player. So you just expect that guy to be a leader or that girl to be a leader. Oftentimes it doesn't work out that way um, for various reasons. Um, On the flip side, you'll get a kid who might have a chance to be a really good leader, but maybe he's not a very good athlete. And so when he speaks up, his teammates kind of don't listen because what does that kid know? Like he, he swings and misses at every pitch he's ever taken. He rides the bench all day. And so uh, we all struggle with it, this idea of creating good, high-quality leaders within our teams and programs and what you're doing with, with within the school itself. How do you see that class and the work that you've done helping you in working with your student-athletes and making kind of helping them become better leaders? I tell you what, I've learned more from them and, and their point of view than I have, like, than they probably learned from me. Um, I'm, pr- I'm relatively well versed in the area, but at the same time, I'm always interested in, in to hearing their opinion. So a lot of the stuff I do is open-ended in the class. So I'm trying to ask their opinion on stuff and, and what they think. And I try to tell them like, you know, I, there's no right answer here, but I, but I don't want you to be like a box checker. I want you to actually put some thought on here and, and to give me some, some legitimate thoughts just to kind of, you know, expand my horizons and give me perspective of, of your shoes. Um, so I, I think I've learned a lot from them and it's helped me be a better leader. It's helped me realize, um, you know, from the, from their perspective and what they're going through. Um, it, it helps me, it, it humbles me. It gives me a different perspective. It gives me a better point of view of, of what, what they, what they feel. And I've always been a big proponent of, you know, having parameters for your program or your class, but at the same time, the students need to have a choice or your athletes need to have a, some sort of a, a voice and a choice in there. And I, I've kind of taken that with them and just, hey, they got some ideas here. Let's try this idea and see if it works. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. At least we tried. Let's try, let's try this idea now and, and see if it works. If it works, that's great. Now, how can we make that idea better? So, I mean, they've provided me with a bunch of different ideas, a bunch of different uh, perspectives that, I, that I've been willing to try. And some of them worked, but, and some of them haven't. But they, at the end of the day, they have a voice, they have a choice. And, and you know, if, if, you can have, if they know they have that voice and, and that choice, the buy-in that they're going to have for you, um, not only now, but later on, they know that they can trust you and you know that their, their, their voice matters, that, that pays big dividends in the end. I think you're dead on. Do any uh, student athletes take that course? I mean, you're a smaller school, so I assume quite a few do. It, it's a mix, but yeah, I have, I'm trying to think how many kids I have in there now. Probably about half my class. I have 22 kids in there right now. So I think about 10, 10 to 15 of them are athletes that, that are taking the course. Um, and, and some are just regular students who, who, who want to, you know, just better themselves. Well, I think that's really cool. Not only, I mean, the mix is really cool. I mean, you're getting kids who uh, obviously at some level want to learn more about leadership, which I think I think a world can use a lot of right now. But the, then to also have student athletes in there, I think lends itself really well for all the different programs in your school because now you're uh, you you literally have a curriculum, and I use the word curriculum loosely because, like you said, you're it's it's sounds like your class is much more open-ended than just, Hey, here's this, you know, the seven topics we're to get through this semester. So here we go. Um, but you're having all these student athletes have an opportunity to be in the class and to learn and, and reflect on what good leadership is to, to hear from different leaders, including some really high profile ones, like you mentioned. 
and then the opportunity for those kids to then use what they've learned and figure out, you know, what, what works for them and whatnot, but then to apply that within the different sports that they play. I think what you're doing ends up lending itself to be a huge service to those kids. And then as they head off, you know, after high school, they head off into the community and if they wind up in Kenton, great, or if they go elsewhere, great, but they're taking what they've learned and they're, they're able to use that wherever they go. Yeah. And that's, that was the goal when I, when I, when I started the course, I, and I always leave with this every year. And I mean, it, it might sound bad from a, from an education perspective, but I always tell them, you know, the goal, if you do the work in here, you're going to get a good grade. Okay. But the, this class is not about the grade. This class is about what you take from this class and apply it to your own life. And then the more you take in this class, the more you put into the class, the more it's going to pay off for you as, as a person, not just as a student, but in the long run. And, you know, I'm, that's what I tell them. And I let them know that, you know, this class is more than just the class you take. And, and I've, I've even had kids comment this year on some of the stuff we've done. You know, I took this class because I thought it was going to be an easy A, but I'm actually really liking this class. And I'm learning a lot about leadership. I'm learning a lot about myself and I'm taking some of these lessons that I'm applying in them to my everyday life. And that's the whole goal is to impact them, to, to help them realize that they can take some of these skills and apply them to their everyday life. And not only that, but we do some stuff that I try to impact other people too. So I know we have every Thursday, I kind of stole this idea from uh, Sheets on a podcast I listened to a while ago where they said they write thank you notes. Um, so every every Thursday, we do this thing called Thankful Thursdays, where um, we don't write thank you notes every week, but pretty much every every other week, every two or three weeks, we take the time to write a thank you note to somebody who, who they're thankful for. And then the other times, we, uh, we, we just look at, just have an attitude of gratitude for that day where we just look around and say, hey, what are three or four things I'm thankful for? Um, just to put things in better perspective then that's how we start those Thursdays off. And, you know, that way we can impact other people and, and you know, it, it kind of is a ripple effect where it starts with one person and then you kind of expand from there. It's kind of, it's kind of like going through the line of McDonald's and paying for the person behind you's meal. So that, that's the type of attitude I'm trying to instill in these kids. Well, yeah. And then you, you receive one of those, you know, thank you notes. And especially if it ends up being handwritten, you get this thank you note that somebody obviously took some time on. And then now you all of a sudden have this new feeling of thankfulness and gratitude. And then maybe like you said, in, you're in the McDonald's line or whatever. And now, okay, I'll, I'll buy the person's, you know, food or drink behind me or, okay, maybe now I'll send a thank you card to someone or, Hey, you know, maybe I'll text that, you know, that person I haven't talked to in a long time. And, yeah, the idea of creating this chain is really cool. Something else you said is also, I, I don't want to turn, this isn't necessarily a teaching podcast, but I think coaching is a huge part of teaching. And it is really funny when you, I've, I've done, maybe I haven't said this to a full class necessarily, uh, you know, for, for a semester long course or something like that. But we have done projects before where I'll, I'll, I've told kids, you're, if you do the project, you're getting the A. And then I'll basically tell them, okay, now that you know you're getting an A, we can actually focus on learning something. Right. And we can actually mm -hmm. take the time to to get interested and learn something because now we're not so worried about getting this grade because it's probably our our fault. But we've conditioned kids to be so focused on getting that A that the the actual learning something isn't kind of takes a back seat. And I think like you just mentioned, you know, somebody just takes the class because they're going to get an easy A and then, oh, my gosh, I'm actually learning stuff in here that's useful. <laughs> yeah. And that that's honestly, that's kind of the biggest hurdle to, to get over, too, is I call them box checkers. There's a lot of box yeah. checkers who, mm -hmm. who they're, they're going to check the box and they're, they're going to do what they need to do to get the A, which is fine. I mean, we, we all have those, we all have those kids in class and, and everything like that. But at the end of the day, you want them to take something valuable out of the class as well. And that's my intent and my goal. And, and I, and I, and I tell them that up front. I said, I, I realize some of you are going to be box checkers and you're going to, you know, do what is required to get the A. And, but I want you to do more than that. And, and and I said I can I can read through the box checking, so and I said I'm, I'm that's the only time I'm going to be subjective is if if you if I feel you're checking boxes and just give me an answer you think I want to hear in like one or two sentences then I'm going to count like a point or two off because you know you're better than that, and and I want your best I don't I don't I don't want your minimum effort to get the A I want you to, you know make an attempt to become better and, and make an attempt to apply this to your life. 
I think it's so good. I think it applies to to sports as well. You want to? I think it was uh, yeah, it was Casey Clunder I had on episode ten from Waverly Shell Rock in uh, in Iowa, and he he mentioned something I'd never heard before. But it's like I can't I can't stop thinking about it. And it was to get off autopilot. Like our, one of our main goals for kids should be to try to do everything we can to get them off autopilot. And the the idea of you know being a box checker, you're you're on autopilot. You're just getting what's done in order to move on to the next thing. And Man, if we can do that with kids, it's so important. And that it applies to sports, obviously, too. Any chance we can to, you're not just checking the box saying that you, you know, you did this drill or you did this warm up. You're, you're doing this drill or warm up to get better, right? We're, we're getting off autopilot. We're not going to be a box checker. We're going to do everything we can to get better. And so we're going to try to be way more focused in practice or in this game or on this drill or whatever it is that we're doing. Exactly. And I think it comes down to they have to make it their own. And, and at that end of the day, it's, it has to be their own. Has, they have to realize that the journey they're on is their own journey. It's not someone else's journey. And that, you know, if, if they want to make the most of this opportunity, they, act, that they actually have to make it their own and not do it for someone else or do it for something else. They have to realize they're doing this for themselves. And as soon as they make that decision that it's their own, that they're going to own it, and that they are now going to be the person that they need to be, that's when the light bulb clicks on and that's when you see the major jumps and, you know, on, on, on the athletic field and in the classroom is as soon as, as soon as that light bulb clicks on for them and they realize that, you know what, I'm going to make this my own, not just for someone else, not just for my mom or dad, not just so I can go to college for this, but I want to be the best person I can be because it's me, it's no one else. And I think that's the jump um, that kids some kids make and when they make that choice that's when the light bulb clicks and that's when you know you see them like you said not go through a normal warm-up like today's week they, they, they finish that warm part not not just going through the motions in the weight room when they're tired that they, they see them push through uh, whatever drill they're going through or in the weight room and i think that's the key and that's what the goal of trying to get these athletes and these students too i love it uh i think you've you've dedicated obviously a huge part of your life towards all of this but I think that leadership defined class as, as you continue to teach it over the years and it floods into to your school, I think the dividends that you'll, you guys will see not only in the school itself, but then within the athletic, the athletic fields too is going to be, it's going to pay dividends in a big way. That's the hope. <laughs> that, that's the intent. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, like I, like I tell them, I'm going to say it here again, you know, the whole intent of the class is just, you know, take something from here and apply it to your life. And then the more that you can apply, the better off you're going to be in the long run. Um, and, and that's the goal. It's like, I, I hope you don't take this class just to get the A. I hope you take this class to become an A person. I agree. I want to, I want to finish with this and I tend to finish with this or, or close to this with most guests. Cause I think it's something that I, I want to make sure that I, I do justice on and it's, it's being a good father and a good husband in addition to a good coach. I have a buddy of mine who has four daughters and he loves it. He's like the best girl dad I've ever met in my life. Um, it takes a special kind of person to, to be a girl dad, especially with four, four awesome little girls. And you've, you've mentioned a little bit, bringing them to workouts and things like that. But I want to just ask you, uh, how do you handle being great in all three roles as a father, as a husband, and as a coach? Well, I'm, I honestly, I'm, I'm far from a finished product. So I, I know that I'm, I'm lacking, but you know, it's, there's, there's a lot of transfer over between the three. So I think um, if you're a great husband and a great father, you're going to be a great coach because you know, you know what it takes to, to care for other people. Um, and it's not easy. It, it, it's, it's difficult at times. Um, but you know, if you take the lessons that you can learn, as being a husband and father and, and translate those lessons over to the team and just realize that, you know what, you may have some hopes and dreams that are your hopes and dreams, but it's not necessarily about you. It's, it's about your players. And that that's when it becomes huge. It, it's, and, and I struggle with this at times, you know, cause I, you know, I, I have a, I have an idea of where I think we should be and where I want to be. And we're not quite there yet, but at the same time, I realize it's, it's not about me. It's about these kids and making these kids the best they can possibly be. And just like my daughters, I want my daughters to be the best they can be. And I'm, and I push them in every possible way to, to make them the best they can be. And, and just like me being a husband, I, I try to treat my wife. Like I want to give my daughters the best idea of what a, what a man should be when they get to the age where they can start dating 
and when they get to the age that um, they can start um, getting married and things like that, I want them to know what a good man looks like and what a caring husband looks like and what a caring friend looks like and and what what a person means who puts others above themselves and makes sure that other people are in a better spot because they are around. One of our main goals should be that when when our guys go off into life someday, they become good fathers and good husbands and they they would make us proud as as fulfilling both of those roles. And so I think one of the things that's really great, you know, not only for your girls to be around the players, it's great for the players to be around your girls, but then it's also really good for the players to experience and see what dads are like. And you mentioned like bringing the D-line crew over to your house and they get a chance to see you be a husband and a dad. And I think those lessons pay off big because we often get stuck as as kids in our own world where we we see our parents and that's that's it, right? And then we, you know, so we do whatever they did. Maybe it's great, maybe it's not, but the opportunity to see other people be fathers and husbands and or wives, right? I think it it lends itself to making a, a really good opportunity for for those players to then model that or see things that they they want to do as they as they become fathers and husbands in the future. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it, it's one of those things where, you know, at coaching at all levels, but especially the high school level, it's it's about coaching the person first and the and the player second. I mean, there's nothing better than being invited to your former players' weddings and see them become a good husband or, or see them become a successful businessman or become a successful professional in whatever they do and, you know, take those lessons that you taught them and apply them to their own lives. And I think that's, that's the biggest joy of coaching for me is watching those guys mature and become great people because you had an impact in their lives. Yeah, it's like the the amount of kids that are going to go off to become a professional in whatever athletic endeavor um, you're coaching them in is basically zero percent, right? The it's 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 just there's so many things that go into you know a kid eventually becoming a major league baseball player or a national football league player. Like it's like it does it's so inconsequential that it doesn't even matter. And but they're all going to go off and you know be employees or employ other people or be fathers or be husbands, right? And so if we're putting our, our, our resources into helping them become better people, like you said, like that's going to pay off huge for everybody. I agree. And that, that's, that's the best thing. The best thing you can have is when you, when you see those kids graduate and go up and be successful in college and, and be successful and when they get their professional career, even those that don't go to college, when you see them, you know, go to work right after right after the high school and and you know they become really good at their craft and you know that's one of the best things when they come back and talk to you about it and then you can just reminisce about it and and how much impact you had on them and those dividends like you talked about are just awesome yeah we had a player who uh he lost out on his senior year because of of covid and everything but he ended up graduating uh moved to or, or went to idaho for about two months became a full-fledged linesman and now he's he's loving every day of his life working as a linesman and it's it's incredibly fulfilling to watch here's this you know 18 19 year old kid who who didn't even get to have his senior year but he's he didn't go to college he went to linesman school and two months later he's a full-fledged lineman just just and he loves it just absolutely loves it um yeah it's it's really special to see kids go off and become successful in whatever it is that they're doing i think that's that's important for us to keep in in perspective um as we kind of close out, we're hitting the hour mark, so I wanted to give you a chance. If there's anything, anything that we missed, or, or anything that you might be helpful for coaches that that um, you kind of had in your mind as we went through our conversation that maybe we missed out on, just kind of give you a chance to have the mic here to finish things out. You know, at, at, at the end of the day, we just have to realize that um, it, it's all about the kids, and it's all about developing those kids, like, like we talked about, and and to becoming as successful people as they can possibly be, and and if you can do that the winds will come. And it's just one of those things I have to tell myself too. You know, if, if I'm developing the person first and they become the type of person we need to have, then the winds will come. It's just sometimes it's, it's good to be reminded that Rome wasn't built in a day that, you know, that John Wooden was, didn't win all those national titles till like his 17th or 18th year coaching. Um, it's just, it's just one of those things that uh, I continue to have to remind myself that and when, even when I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm not enough that at times, it's good to look back at where you started from and look at where you're now and realize that as long as you keep, as John Gordon says, going after the root, then then the fruit will come in the end. 
I love the John Wooden part too. It's true. He, uh, we, we don't think of him as someone who <laughs> worked for decade, you know, decades plus before he won anything. We just think of the national championships and he was just perfect from the get go. But yeah, Rome was not built in a day. Um, as we close things out, if anybody wanted to get in contact with you, um, I'm specifically thinking about that leadership defined class and just, you know, bounce ideas off you or just kind of get, get maybe some questions answered. And if you're willing to do that, is there a way people could get a hold of you? Yeah, I am on Twitter. Um, I think my handle is at Dudex59, um, the number. Um, I'm also on Instagram under the same thing. Um, my email, I'm, I'm open to email, dudekm at kentoncityschools.org. Um, I am more than willing to help um, in whatever way I possibly can. It's, it's one of my greatest joys is, is being able to spread this leadership ideas out to, to other people um, and see their communities and their kids benefit from just leadership ideas. Yeah, that's one of the big things we've talked about with a different, few different guests on here is that just because we find something really cool in our little world uh, doesn't mean the only people lucky enough to experience it are the players who just happen to end up in our in our teams or the the students who end up in our school. It's a gift that we can share with everybody. And I appreciate you being so willing to share today and and to share that leadership to find information as well if anybody wants to get a hold of you. So Matt, appreciate you coming on the podcast. Loved having you. I think we can learn a lot from you, especially being a dad and kind of understanding how to fulfill multiple roles, even even coaching for 17 years with two sports and you're you're doing it and making it look easy from the outside. So I uh, appreciate you being on the podcast. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. It was a lot of fun. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. As always, you can find the High School Coaches Club by going to our website, www.highschoolcoachesclub.com. In addition to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at HS Coaches Club. Coaches, trainers, administrators, uh, even players uh, can all provide us with stories that, that help us improve ourselves and the lives of our athletes, too. So uh, here's the deal, everyone. Um, if you know somebody who'd make for an awesome guest here on the podcast, even if that somebody is you, uh, please email me at highschoolcoachesclub at gmail.com. Um, coaches, trainers, administrators, players of seriously any sport uh, at the high school level. Uh, if you've got something or you know somebody who's got something to offer up to the rest of us, um, please reach out to me. That's the best way to kind of help this community grow. Um, lastly, you can always reach out to me personally, and this is really the fastest way to get a response because I spend probably far too much time there. Um, on Twitter, uh, my handle is at Mr. Max Price. Uh, so hey, I appreciate you being a part of the High School Coaches Club. Uh, honored that you tuned in and, and spent some of your time here with us. Uh, so thank you for that. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you. <laughs>